Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada reaches a critical juncture in the fight against COVID-19. If we continue on the current pace, it is estimated that there will be over 10,000 cases daily by early December. Aaron O'Toole calls on the federal government to ban Huawei and take a tougher line with China. Everybody's expected a response well before now on what the decision is going to be on Huawei, but we all know the government is, is trying to do this delicate balancing act between how to manage China while trying to protect the, the two Michaels being held captive. And waiting for an update on the country's finances as we deal with the uncertainty of the pandemic. Our resources are not infinite. Controlling the virus now reduces the chances of impossible decisions and choices we might have to make down the road. It's Monday, November the 16th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us today. Hi, Mark. Good to talk with you. And I know we've been saying this uh, for a couple of weeks now, but it really does feel as we start a new week that we are at a critical juncture in the fight against the coronavirus. We've seen in the last week record numbers of infections in a number of jurisdictions, including Ontario. We've heard talk in the last week of closing schools again, of clamping down with further restrictions in other areas of of life and the economy. Uh, and there's even talk of what role the federal government should play if the provinces don't do enough on their own to restrict the spread of the virus. So what do you think as we start a new week in terms of where we stand and what might come next? Well, I think what's, what stands out to me, Mark, is just the, the amount of, uh, of mixed messaging. And, and, and you know, if, if we're journalists covering this story and the, the twists and turns of the COVID response from day to day and week to week, and, you know, it's, it's going all over the place. So imagine what it's like if you're uh, a Canadian who's not paying that close attention. Everybody knows there's a pandemic, but when you're trying to figure out what you're supposed to do about it, um, I, I think it's become really interesting uh, and somewhat concerning for a lot of people to try and follow this bouncing ball. And I think what we're starting to see is uh, the worst possible thing that can happen because up until now, you know, largely we've had a response uh, across the country to deal with this. And now it's starting to look like that, you know, the, the, there's a political response and politicians and premiers want it to go one way, um, although they're saying they're putting all health concerns first. Health experts are saying they're not doing enough. So I'm, I guess I'm concerned to see how wide this divide gets between what health experts are calling for and, and what provincial premiers are prepared to implement. And then you put that in the context of the role of the federal government and growing pressure on, on the prime minister. We heard this back in the spring. Now this, this conversation's back. Should, should Justin Trudeau invoke the Emergencies Act so that there can be some sort of clear national response? Now, to be fair, uh, it, it, it doesn't take much to trigger it, but some, some of the things you can do under it as a federal governor sort of limited in terms of practical approaches. So what, what could he do? Well, maybe we could have a, a national masking policy that, that applies to everybody everywhere and that it isn't 
sort of patchwork across provinces and municipalities in this country. Uh, could he, should he talk about uh, restricting travel between provinces and closing down borders as they've done in Atlantic Canada with a, a great deal of, of success to this point and other measures, but just this pressure on the federal government to, and the prime minister to uh, develop some sort of national approach to this as opposed to leaving it up to different provinces to implement the way they see fit. And then just to finish that thought, uh, and then what is coming out of, of the federal government? We've been hearing some mixed messages there, too, saying, on the one hand, the prime minister has said that uh, we'll do whatever it takes for however long it takes to uh, get, for, you know, protect the health and safety of Canadians, that it's not about saving money, it's about making sure that Canadians are kept whole and kept safe. And then, uh, on the other hand, telling the, the premiers, look, you better start taking stricter action because our our resources are not infinite. Uh, you won't always be able, we won't be able to send you the Red Cross all the time. We won't be able to send you, uh, you know, people to help with contact tracing if you don't start taking these measures now. You're putting too much strain on the system. And I keep thinking about all of this as you talk about rising numbers, Mark, and look what's happening in long-term care homes. Are we really going to have a repeat of what happened in the spring in this country after it happened? Could it happen again? Are we going to stand by and watch that happen where thousands of, of Canadians in long-term care homes die because the response isn't adequate? Yeah, and I, I think there is a, a challenge that governments are feeling here, and I know there's a lot of scrutiny and criticism from observers, but uh, it, it feels as though they go back and forth between the priority of trying to stop the spread of the virus and on the other hand, trying not to shut so many things down that it leads to significant damage to the economy and to people's mental health of not being able to participate in the in the yeah, gatherings that they're used to, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a like it, this. It's a terrible time to be a premier. It's a terrible time to be a, a political leader who is phone is. And Doug Ford talks about this all the time in Ontario. He's like taking phone calls till two thirty in the morning, from six a.m. and you know basically. 22 hours a day everybody's got his personal cell number he's he's always telling people that and on the one hand he's you know probably a whole bunch of those calls are small business people saying look you're killing me here with these restrictions and on the other hand he's getting calls from families about the crisis in long-term care homes from uh, other health experts and from doctors saying the system's starting to get overwhelmed you've got to do something more so you know, I'm, I'm glad it's not me. I mean, it's a it's a tough situation to be in, and uh, I suppose argues all the more uh, for a federal, uh, some kind of different federal response, notwithstanding the fact that you're going to get pushback from the provinces. But, you know, the Prime Minister the prime minister has been coming pretty close. You know, Tuesday of last week it was, you know, you, you, you better start doing more, and you got to, you know, I, I expect a bigger response. And by the end of the week it was, we don't have infinite amounts of money, start doing something. So I don't know whether that means he's getting close to, to you know, uh, uh, taking some kind of uh, national action. If it is the Emergencies Act, he's been reluctant to use it and, and keeps saying so. But, you know, maybe that's where we're headed. All right, let's turn to Canada's relationship with China, because in a televised interview yesterday, Aaron O'Toole, the conservative leader, was saying the government should just go ahead and ban Huawei. This is something that has been the subject of a lot of debate for some time in this country in terms of our telecom policy, and was saying, generally speaking, we should be taking a tougher line with China. There, there are other developments on this as well. Of course, Bob Ray, Canada's ambassador to the United Nations, uh, was talking about China on the weekend as well. So um, how do you think the government is going to respond to this? 
Well, that's, that's a good question. Uh, you know, everybody's expected a response well before now on what the decision is going to be on Huawei. But we all know the government is, is trying to do this delicate balancing act between how to manage China uh, at the same, you know, while trying to protect the, uh, the, the two Michaels being held captive uh, in in China, you know, uh, charged with spying. It's everybody, I think, pretty clearly knows it's a response to the to the Meng Wanzhou uh, detention uh, by Canada on behalf of the U.S. and, and her whole extradition case. That uh, we're still waiting to, for a conclusion of that, but. I think it's really interesting that the federal government is trying to walk that line and try to, you know, not try to be very careful about how it talks about China. And yet on the sidelines, and I mean the near sidelines, you have Bob Ray, who's a government appointee, uh, saying that he wants the United Nations to investigate allegations of genocide against the Chinese because of their treatment of the the Uyghur Muslims in, in China. And you have a parliamentary committee that's come out with a report saying basically the same thing, that accusing uh, all the indications there uh, are that there's a genocide taking place against the Uyghurs. So I, I think it complicates things. China has lashed out whenever uh, lashed out at the committee report. We'll see if there's uh, what kind of response, you know, the Bob Ray uh, comments get. And so I, I think it's a, you know, and, and this will be put under a microscope again because the conservatives, I think, are planning to move on this. We could see that in, in the opposition day Tuesday. Even if we don't, they've been asking lots of questions about Huawei and we'll, we'll continue to, uh, to put pressure on the government to make a decision about Huawei. When, when our uh, Five Eyes allies have all decided to block Huawei. Uh, the question still remains, why hasn't Canada, and on what grounds would we not block Huawei? And that's the question that keeps getting put to the Prime Minister and others whenever the question comes up. All right, finally, let's turn to the fall fiscal update. Uh, what are you hearing about that? Um, it's, it's We haven't had a budget this year, of course, uh, and the finances are very much driven by what's happening with the federal government's response to the coronavirus. Uh, the Conservatives, under uh, one of their critics, Pierre Poiliev, have been attacking the government for uh, not reining in the deficit a little bit, not controlling spending, uh, treating the debt as though we can just rack it up and and not suffer any consequences later. That's the Conservatives' criticism of how the government is handling it, which is... In, this cir- in these circumstances, that's a tough line to take. Uh, it may be fiscally responsible, but I think a lot of people are going to react like, well, we need to see a lot from the government right now in this crisis. So uh, how do you see the, the political lines being drawn around this? And when do you expect a fiscal update? And, and how much can really be included in a fiscal update at this point, given that it's all dictated by what's happening with the coronavirus? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but let me do it really quickly, as quickly as I can. Uh, you know, so you're going to have there, there's there are the you know the political positions being taken by the, the different parties. You talked about the conservatives about uh, how much money the government's rolling out. You know, why don't we take it out of that for a second, Mark, and look at you know a, an impartial voice, and that's you know uh, the parliamentary budget officer. Uh, I spoke to him uh, last week, and he said to me, "Look, the, the biggest concern I have is that." Um, uh, you, you know, we can't really tell. We're we're taking best guesses 
at how much money is going at the door, what's being spent, how it's being spent, is it being delivered? Because, you know, um, you, you might remember, Mark, that up until August uh, during the pandemic, the finance department was providing an update on spending every two weeks with the prorogation of parliament uh, at the end of the summer. That stopped happening and hasn't happened since. And the parliamentary budget officer has lamented that. So, I mean, everybody's going to take different sides about whether it's enough spending, too much spending, how much, uh, how long the spending should go on. But the, the problem I have is that, the, or the, I guess the questions I'd like to see answered, uh, you know, spring from the notion that you can't really, you know, understand or take a position unless you have numbers to deal with. And nobody's had numbers for, for months to be able to look at to get a precise idea. And, and the parliamentary budget officer says that. They, the finance department wouldn't turn over the information when he asked for it. So uh, that that makes me wonder a little bit exactly what they're relying on to put together a fiscal update. And I guess the next thing is is if we get a fiscal update, and it's probably going to be – they're still talking a little bit about end of November, but because there's so much uh, movement on the on the pandemic front, it could be into, into the first – 10 days or so of December uh, before the house goes on the, on the break for the, for the Christmas holidays. Uh, and then when will we hear about government finances again, a budget in February or March? Uh, I think you're going to hear a lot of people questioning whether that is, that's res- a responsible way to sort of keep Canadians and policymakers in the loop about how much money is going at the door and where it's going. All right. Great stuff, Peter. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Okay, Mark. We'll talk again. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. These adjustments, they're necessary to respond to the latest evidence. And we may need to make further adjustments in the future. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun considers personal health and COVID-19. The Sun writes, Federal, provincial, and municipal health officials have been pretty mum on the ways we can take our health into our own hands. Guidance can help us separate fact from fiction. It can also help us avoid taking up ineffective remedies and guide us toward better practices. Canadians are developing serious COVID-19 fatigue, and it's hard to blame them. We need to be given as much information as possible about how to live with COVID-19 in a safe and responsible manner. At Policy Options, Daniel Tisch argues that after Donald Trump we face a struggle for shared truth. Tish writes, Almost four years ago, Trump's presidency began with a small lie about the size of his inauguration crowd. Now it has effectively ended with a dangerous lie that he had won, but had been cheated by fraud. Our lack of shared truth presents a huge threat to humanity. While Trump will soon leave office, new Trumps will surely emerge. This is why government, business, and other leaders must act together to support public interest journalism, citizen media literacy, and effective communication. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues, history shows that Trumpism may not die. Sears writes, Political movements rarely die. They merely go into hibernation for a while. A rebound is eminently possible. If the GOP codifies its policies and prejudices into a socially acceptable discourse. However, if Donald Trump refuses to pass the baton, then Trumpism will fade. American Republicans will soon face an existential choice. If Trump refuses to step back and they cannot tame or civilize Trumpism, they face defeat. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. 
MPs will get down to the final debate today on legislation to help judges and the criminal justice system deal more equitably with cases of sexual assault. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, this is the third time that the House of Commons will vote on this bill or its predecessors. The original version of the legislation was a private member's bill tabled by former Conservative leader Rana Ambrose. Her bill was motivated by some high-profile and controversial rulings in sexual assault cases, including one Alberta judge who asked why a woman couldn't simply keep her knees together, and another where a judge ruled that a drunk can consent. The bill would require federally appointed judges to agree to take training dealing with rape myths, sexual stereotypes, and biases about race and gender and how they can influence their decisions. The bill also requires judges to put on the record their reasons for ruling in sexual assault cases. Ambrose's original bill was passed with all-party support by the House of Commons and it went to the Senate, but some Conservative senators put up some procedural roadblocks and the bill died when Parliament was dissolved for the fall election. Now, the Liberal government took the bill up again and tabled it, but once again it died on the order paper when Prime Minister Trudeau prorogued Parliament in August. Now the bill's been reintroduced, passed in principle, it's gone to committee and it's come back with some minor amendments, so Mark, it will be interesting to see if it gets speedy passage through the House of Commons. Then, of course, it will once again face some of the same Conservative senators who took issue with it the last time around, but it would seem that the numbers are there for this legislation to finally become law. Thanks, Martin. Also today... The Prime Minister will speak with the Prime Minister of the Netherlands before chairing the Cabinet meeting. He will also speak during the opening of the second Global Conference for Media Freedom, co-hosted by Canada and Botswana. And Minister of Families Ahmed Hussein will announce support for early learning, childcare and schools in New Brunswick. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, November the 16th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.